This episode may contain trigger warnings such as suicide, depression, anxiety, sexual trauma, or other trauma-related incidents. If you or someone you know are having thoughts of or feelings of suicide, please call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or 911 in your local area. And remember, I love you, man. Hello, ladies and gents. This is Chris from the I Love You Man podcast. Uh, we had an episode. Uh, we had a guest on today. By the I don't name think it's of- recording. It says recording on my screen. Oh, okay. You just cock blocked my intro. <laughs> now it says recording. You want to do another this one? Motherfucker. No, I need a new co-host. This fucking asshole Stake- takes the first hoodie, cuts me off any chance he gets. <laughs> oh, I've seen some. Well, jealousy. that's Nate. He made he made sure he was uh, he made sure he was known. <laughs> we had uh, we had Joel on here today. Uh, Joel was a very good guest. He he has a more intense story. Uh, he's he wrote a book. He's an addict, and he's gone through the recovery process. And. Um, yeah, I, 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 it was a. He's like a young Danny Trejo. He's been through. Yeah, but shit, he's but he's working. He's not out. Hispanic. Yeah, I I didn't mean in the Hispanic sense. I just meant like you know like. What do you he, mean? He has pockmarks. No, no, man. I'm saying like you know like he's been through some shit. He has a tough life, and he's working himself, you know, up. He wrote a book. He's trying to get his shit told in Hollywood, you know, and everything like. He's like, I've been through some shit. So, you know, I, I yeah. The yeah Danny Trejo was, sure. I was thinking Danny DeVito. That's right. Danny DeVito. We asked him, remember, we asked him who would play. Oh, him. I know. Yeah. He, you he cultural said he's appropriated foot. him, though. Yeah. My bad, friends. <laughs> <laughs> Mentals. Mentals. Well, we're, we're just going to have a. We're gonna have a freaking Facebook poll about it. Yeah. And if you guys pick friends, we're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> we need more activity. I've been posting stuff, you know. We're trying, guys. We're trying. We yeah. love you. We love we you. We have a proposed release schedule of Wednesdays for the checkups. What? Yeah. So mental health checkups will you know if everything goes according, it is the holiday season, so it's going to be tough. But uh, we haven't talked how we're going to do it. But once a week, Chris and I will do mental health checks with each other, with uh, people, with our uh, audience. We'll browse the internet, like Reddit and stuff, and we'll just talk mental health. It'll be a quick 15, 20-minute episode, you know, just r- real short. And then... Uh, we plan on what well, the plan is by the end of the year, which is coming up soon. We're cut off with season one. Now, a lot of podcasts don't do season ones, but we're not a lot of podcasts. We're different. We're mental. <laughs> yeah. So 2022, we're going to kick it off, man. You might hear some sponsors. That's the goal. Um, you know, and 
anything you can help. If you like hearing this podcast, we could use the support. Like I said in the previous intro, we got merch now. You know, you can just shoot us a message. Uh, it's all custom made and everything and handmade in uh, Texas. Uh, it, it's it's pretty great what we're doing, and we couldn't have done it without you. We looked at our uh, statistics, man. Y'all are blowing this crap up. Yep. Tell your friends, your family. Let's spread the love of mental health. That's the goal of this. It's like, man, you know, like these guys, they're just like us, you know. We, we still want to hear your story, even though we're getting more widely known i want to say widely known but we're getting people who have a background in the entertainment industry and businesses and stuff we still want to hear everybody's story guys Anybody. i want to hear i want to hear your story more i'm telling yes. you if i get a listener submission i will oh. reschedule some other people if we get a listener submission i don't want to say that because then that's just an incentive i don't care i got incentives for you guys if we get a listener uh if we get a listener um submission submission thank you chris that's the word you were looking for you know and you believe that your story you know you're ready to tell your story and everything we'll send you a free decal to put on your car that's right these are pretty sweet decals too. Got one on mine. Looks good on a pilot. <laughs> sure would look uh, on a, look good on a Civic too. Not saying we're bribing you or anything, but we just would like to. Uh, I'm bribing you. We wanted to involve our people. You know, this is a this is a uh, very I want to say interactive, but. We, we can't do this without you. And so we want to hear your thoughts and feelings. You know, maybe start a Patreon and you can talk to us a lot more. You know, we have a Discord. Our Discord, just uh, search up Discord. I love you, man, pod. Um, add us on there. Talk. We're pretty active. My wife, we're so active. My wife is jealous. So good job. We have a few former guests on there too. So if you want to yeah. ask them in specific about their story, you know, I'm sure they'd be willing to share. Yep, that's correct. But uh Chris, talk about our guests a little bit more. Oh, you cut me off. Uh oh. I think I said all I wanted to say. I don't want to spoil it. Okay, well let's get let's get on with Joel. Great episode. Loved it. Author, check out his book on Amazon, The Book of Joel. Link in the description. Link in the description below. Without further ado, let's go. All right. So let's get started, gentlemen. I'm excited. Yes. I'm ready. Right. Ready to go. So you want to uh, introduce yourself? It says your name is Jazz. Jay's. Uh, that's Joel A Z. So my name is Joel J O E L Carroll. Okay. Forty-three cool, year old man. author. Yeah. So you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. If you so don't 43 mind. Forty-three years old. I was uh, 
an alcoholic and an addict for 19 years. Been clean for eight years now. Good for you. And for the last eight years, I've dedicated my life to advocating for men, women, and children in the desert southwest that feel like they aren't heard. And they feel lost and they feel that they're too weird and their situations are too weird that nobody would understand. So I've dedicated my life to first being present for my wife and my children that I abandoned while being an addict and, uh, and to the community, just giving back. Um, That's so important. The journey like you... that starts with taking accountability. Yeah, for sure. That's a hard thing to do, man. That's a hard thing. That's a hell of a thing to go through is, is hold ourselves accountable for our actions. So I, I I don't want I don't want to push my buttons, push buttons like so how did you get started? Like what like, set down you what set you down the path of addiction? Yes, thank you, Chris. So my father was Air Force, born in, in Phoenix, moved to Virginia when I was two, moved to Europe, stayed there for a few years. Some things happened out there um, when I started seeing shadows and uh, tormented by a demonic presence in Belgium that other people didn't see. So I felt like I was crazy. Um, moved back to the States, back to Phoenix, and I started to get bullied. I'm a little dude, man, a teeny little guy. So having buck teeth and a rat tail and people would make fun of me. And I snapped and almost killed a kid in elementary school in Phoenix. You know, my oh, buddies wow. were kind of egging me on to fight him. And he was a little guy too, same stature, everything, but he was just cocky and confident. I was far from it. So I learned at 10 years old that when I got uncomfortable, something changed inside of me and I was unable to control my actions. So I snapped on people very violently. I punched through a window uh, when his kids, when his friends were bullying me the next day. The kid ended up in the hospital and they called me a freak and a weirdo, a karate kid. You want to be a karate kid? And and I punched through a window in a house and I pulled another kid out and I, I tried to stab him in the skull with a piece of glass. And um, so I learned that I had rage at 10 years old. I just snapped and I was very kind. I was kind to everybody. I got along with everybody. And then my father was like, we're, we're leaving Arizona where all your relatives are. We're going to Washington, D.C. area. I'm going to work at the Pentagon. So I was, I was afraid. I was uh, depressed. Were both of your parents around? Yes. Yes. So alcoholic. I have a question. They were alcoholic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, me and Nate, were both in the military. We know what kind of what that entails. Was there ever a discussion from your father, uh, like, I'm moving to a high-profile job in a high-profile place. You better buckle the fuck down and not make an ass of me here. No, all he said was, pack up your shit. I don't care about your little life. We got to go. Mm. So at the drop of a dime from a colonel's orders, multiple times, it was, whatever you have, I'm sorry, but let's go. And we drove across the, the country. You know, so that was multiple times where I was super depressed for the little lives that I was creating in, in different countries and different states. Uh, settling in, started playing basketball, Little League, uh, Boy Scouts, then move again. And you never had a set support system 
and I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to project, but it, it almost seems like the one you had formulated with your parents maybe wasn't that steady and your friends were kind of your only outlet. And every time you kind of got that connection, it was ripped away from you. Absolutely. You know, my parents worked very hard. We always had good food on the table, wood in the fireplace during the wintertime, clean house. But when they weren't working, they were drinking and they would go out and they would party on the weekends. And, you know, for my sister and I, my older sister and I, it was, you know, just drop us off at a babysitter or have a babysitter come to the house. Good parents, good family, never physical violence. But eventually they allowed us to kind of scurry off after school thinking that I was still a good kid in Virginia, which I was. But once I went out for high school basketball outside of Washington, D.C., which was my life, collecting baseball cards, basketball cards, football cards, I could run stats down to any adult. And I, I would get rides from other parents to go to these games. My, my pops wouldn't show up to a lot of these games. And eventually after these games, I would hang out in different neighborhoods. And once I got cut, I got cut immediately in high school. These kids were just, I was out of my league in every sport in every way. And I started, when I went to high school, I uh, saw that people were drinking, smoking pot, doing LSD, and my parents were drinking all the time. And once I was super depressed, I wanted to try it out for myself. So I poured liquor into a small cup, grabbed some of my mom's cigarette butts that were in her ashtray, went out to the bus stop, and I drank, and I smoked my first cigarette. And, and that was a wrap, man. It gave me a confidence I never knew existed. It was like a magic potion for me. Mm-hmm. so i mean there's something cathartic about it like um i know a lot of you know people that start on cigarettes it's not just the nicotine they rush they get it's like the um the repetition of raising the cigarette to your mouth i mean something about the whole process is very relaxing yeah. i still i haven't smoked in eight years you know but when i'm sitting down with my family watching movies and i got my snacks and whatever it is I'm drinking, soda, tea, whatever. I feel like I'm always missing something. I'm like, I know it's not the dope. I'm not thinking about the dope or the alcohol, you know, that I retired from that lifestyle. But I, I learned last year, I was like, damn, it's the cigarette. Yep. Just always continuously having a cigarette around me and flicking the ashes and putting it to my mouth, just like you said, it is that. And I, it took me seven years to figure that out, that that's what I was thinking about all the time. So what happened after high school? Well, during high school, instead of being on the basketball court, playing basketball at the Boys and Girls Club, AAU basketball, I lost my virginity to my next door neighbor who was younger than me. But after that, that became an addiction immediately. So I stopped trading basketball cards, baseball cards, and I started sleeping around with every female that would allow me to. Um, that, with the alcohol consumption and smoking weed, I was no longer interested in academics or anything that the school had to offer. And I wanted to make a name for myself. I don't know why at that point, but I was going to, I was super determined to make a name for myself in the DC metropolitan area. And my older sister was dating a known violent gang member. And some of the guys I was playing basketball with and in my classes, they were getting affiliated. And uh, once he gave me my alias, Though he didn't want me down, he gave me an alias. And once he gave me the alias, Omen, O-M-E-N, I kind of became this character. 
You know, I'm a Libra. I was born on Friday the 13th on a weekend of a full moon back in October 78. Wow. You know, I like the scales. I'm not too much into that, you know, the astronomy and mm -hmm. all that stuff. But it was Joel versus Omen. You know what I mean? I started thinking about it. I'm mm -hmm. like, yo, he just named me the Omen. He didn't even know I was born on Friday the 13th. He didn't know mm -hmm. I saw shadows and spirits. He didn't know my best friend died at seven years old. You know, that I snap and bad things happen when people irritate me. So I like really looked at the dictionary and, and consumed, ingested what Omen meant. And I took it and I ran with it. And I eventually got gang affiliated with an extremely- You were friend. Omen. Yep, I was Omen. There was no more Joel. To this day, I'm 43. There's people who don't even know my real name. Oh, wow. So, so did you end up joining this gang? I did. I did, and it was, um, I definitely got up, but I, I got what I signed up for, man. That's what he was telling me, like, you don't want this life. You know, it was a lot of death, a lot of death, a lot of conspiring. Um, now, the initiation process, was it like you see in the movies? Did you get dapped up, you know, anything like that? To, yeah, I got my ass handed to me, man. And at this point, I'm five foot, you know, 90 pounds. You're talking about grown-ass men. You know, they're just basically like, look, little bitch, like, what are you going to bring to the table? You know, and, mm -hmm. and I went one time and I got hit so hard in my face for the first time, like in my life. And I couldn't open my mouth for a week and they still wouldn't let me join. Wow. Like after all that, and I kept going back. I kept going back, kept going back. So if they wouldn't let you join and they were giving you a hard time, what was the point that they did? I was tenacious. I was bringing people in from different small street gangs in Northern Virginia. I was always hanging around the neighborhood. I, before I was initiated, I had guys in the gang that were trying to pimp my girlfriend out that lived on their street in the K section. And um, had had SUVs pull up, put guns to my face, put guns in my head. I had another one put a gun in my mouth. Just testing me, man. I never left. I just kept going, getting my ass whooped, and I'd, I'd tie up my Timberlands. You know, put my black on, put an omen across my shirt, and I'd go right back. And eventually, you're never did. afraid. You're never like, fuck, I need to get out of this shit. Kept drinking. Started wow. smoking formaldehyde and bomber fluid huh. on a cigarette. He was he was, was self-destructive at this point. Yeah, it was a wrap. My my parents had to go to the high school because I almost killed a kid. You know, I smacked the teacher's skull against a brick wall because she grabbed me from the back, my hoodie. She didn't know I had headphones on and the cord went around my neck. Just the early 90s, man. So we didn't have ear, ear pod, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So she grabbed yeah. that and I didn't know who it was. And I had my arm around my girlfriend and I grabbed her by her bangs and I smacked her skull against a brick wall. Like that's what happens when I get, when I get uncomfortable, man. You reacted yeah. before you even had a chance to think. Yeah. There's no thought process, man. At all. Plus I'm drunk in high school, like very violent. I wanted was to make there, Was there any legal litigation after that? With the teacher? Not with the teacher. Uh, the kids in elementary school in Phoenix, yeah, the police were at the school. Um, my buddies told on me. They are pointing at me. And, uh, that was the first time I got told on. And then uh, the next day when my, his kids, his friends kept uh, antagonizing me and bullying me, I punched through that window and pulled the kid out. The police were at my house that day. So after that, um, high school, the police sat down. They, they opened up a police station in our school. We had mediation, a lot of threats, gang violence between me and other gang members in the school. It was omen, like straight you up. Ever, you ever end up in jail? Yeah, all I've these... been incarcerated across the country. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, Jewelry Store Heist, 1999, when my daughter was born, instead of getting a job and being a reliable father, I got irritated when her mama kept saying, hey, we need diapers, we need this, we need that, we need this, we need that. And all the money that I was using outside jobs, I was using for dope. Mm -hmm. So I was like, F it. I went and robbed a jewelry store with somebody I didn't even trust. But I did it anyways. You know, and they ended up testifying against me in court after I went on the run to Florida and I was doing a bunch of pranks. Just sleeping around with women and catching STDs and just self-will run wild, man. It, now, were you brutal. keeping in contact with your your child's mother at this point or? Not really. Um, they flew out here 2014, a year after I got clean. And I spoke with her and her grandmother. My daughter was 14 at the time. And she just wanted to know who I was. So it was the biggest blessing of my life. You know, and eventually I flew back out to D.C. with our four sons and she was able to spend time with with her four brothers. And when we're around, it's the most amazing thing that I've ever experienced in life is having all five of my kids in one place at one time. But then we leave, we fly or she flies away. And then it was as if it was just a dream. And She didn't know how to explain that, you know, the feelings of resentment when I leave again. But I've been working on resentments for the last eight years, like dissecting each one. And I knew what she thought before she could explain or comprehend what she was thinking. I said, you think it's a dream? You know, so it's very sad, you know, that I wasn't around for this child. So I can relate to children, uh, parents that are reliable in dealing with mental illness and addiction, uh, substance abuse issues. But I'm also the parent that's reliable and, and then the one that's not reliable and was never around. So I'm both. Are you ever worried? Uh, because addiction is a disease, you know. I I feel like everyone can relatively agree with that, you know. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you ever feel or get concerned about uh, your Those child traits passing on? Yeah, of course. My parents were alcoholics. I'm Scottish, Irish, English. You know. What do you down, do man? to? Uh, prevent that and you know if you, if you see signs of it in a child in your one year child or something like how do you react or respond so my oldest son is 12 and he's got rage issues which i have rage issues <clears throat> and when he rages i don't talk to him i just sit in the room with him and i work in psych hospitals man detox and rehabs and i have my own experience so i'll just sit in the room with him and i'll let him calm down and then i'll kind of scoot over and put his head, you know, my arm around his head and I'll just put it to my heart where his ears by my heart and I'll just rub his head. You know, there's no talking. You cannot rationalize with an irrational person. Do y'all talk about it afterwards once everything comes down and be like, hey man, like it's okay. Like it's all good. Yeah. You know, I'm struggling with that with my brother. My brother, I think he has a similar uh, story to kind of what you had. So like I'm currently taking care of my 14 year old brother. And uh, he has insane rage issues, and we've been troubling. His dad doesn't want to take him back, and his mother is deceased, so he's stuck with us. And uh, I'm also raising my own child. And, dude, it's been so, so hard trying to teach this kid who came up from a background. Before he was 12, he's done almost every single drug. Like he, it's insane. He's lived most of his life in hotels, been to like 15 different schools. 
Um, and like now he's with us and I'm like trying to teach him, you know, like, Hey, like, it's okay. Like you're good. You know, you're secured. I'm trying to give him, you know, I'm trying to teach him. And, you know, a big part of this podcast for me is being able to learn and hear stories like yours and pass them on, you know, be like, you're, you're going to be okay, kid. Like, it's tough being 14. I asked him uh, not too long ago. I was like, what's your hobbies? What do you like to do for fun? You know, like, what do you, and he literally slumped in his chair and goes, man, I do what I got to do to get by each day. And I'm like, dude, you're fucking 14 years old. <laughs> like, that's not an acceptable answer. But uh, the thing is, I, Joel could probably relate with this. That's his mentality because that's the way he had to live. And I, I understand that. Is a yeah. fucking social chameleon. You know, you have to adapt to the situation you were brought up in. You know, I'm worried that he's going to get into gang. Like the other day, he was hanging out with his buddies and he had to call my wife and be like, hey, come get me. There was gunshots, you know, and then we saw cops and like we started running. And it's like, so now you're a suspect. <laughs> like, even though you weren't even involved, the fact that you ran, you know, it's just. Man, it's I'm ego. To worry about him. It's ego and it's pride. It's he's it's all so he's ever known. In a young man at that age, so yeah, strong. It's fear. It's fear of everything, and it's extremely, extremely difficult to become vulnerable. We don't want to let that guard down because we don't trust people, man. Yeah, I don't it's been people. hard. I still don't trust people. I'm eight years clean. Gave my life to God eight years ago at Salvation Army Rehab. You know, did 13 months in. 13 months in rehabs and 13 years across the country. And, you know, to sit down and get a sponsor, some, some strange dude that I don't know, and I'm going to sit here and get vulnerable with you. So that's where he's at, you know, and at I'm that trying age, to get him into therapy. Tough, and he's like, if they, if they bring up something that I don't like, I'm just going to get pissed off and try to fight them. It's like, right. yeah, really? <laughs> like they're there to help you. Yeah. It does suck. You know, and, and we have to go through life, hopefully, you know, people that have that sixth sense to see things manifesting in real time. You know, that not everybody has the ability to, to see things for what they are at real time speed. You know, I was able to see that my entire life. And I knew the things that were happening. I, I, I felt them manifesting as they were occurring. But the second I put that curse, you know, I took that potion. Because all dope is, is a potion. You know, they talked about in the Old Testament, there's witch doctors and sorcerers, and they create these ingredients, mix them up to create potions, and they feed it to the weak-minded while telling them lies that it's going to make them feel better. You know, well, thousands of years later, they're going to sit there, and it's just called a drug. So you got potion dealers all around the country. And, and when we're our back hurts, our knees hurt, our head hurts, I got hit in the head and had a stroke in 1998. You think I went to a hospital after they released me because I'm a gang member? No, I started smoking crack. You know, so the second I take that potion, I've been faithful to my wife for the last eight years. I've never cheated on her when I was sober, but I was never sober with her the first 11. The second I take a drink, one drink for me, I take one drink, it's a wrap. I'm doing methamphetamine tonight and I'm getting a prostitute and she's paying me. Wow. It's just what happens, man. You know, I've been kidnapped. I've been going to somebody's house to play dominoes or spades outside of DC and something told me not to go. And then when I wake up in the morning, they're all buried on the, they're all piled in a bathtub naked, all shot in the back of the head, you know, and instead of thinking about all these things and the people that 
I affected in my life, I'm going to continue to self-will run wild, man. Do you like, ever I don't know PTSD how to look from these moments? What's that? Do you ever have PTSD from these moments? Bro, like, I have so much that? I got cameras on my house. I make sure everything's locked. When people, I don't know. When I pull um, up to a stop sign, a stoplight at night after working, <sighs> I feel that everybody next to me in the car is a threat. Yeah. Every day of my life. Bro, I'm, I'm sorry you had to live like that, man. Like, shit sucks. Um, but I'm getting through it. And that's the point. That's the no. whole, that's the key to this. While dealing can we with talk, that. Can we talk about your road to recovery? Like, what was your point that was like, I need to stop this and be better? So I almost attacked somebody that I love dearly with a machete when I was on meth. And I was in and out of psych hospitals off and on for two, two and a half years. And it got to a point where I hated myself so bad, so much because I knew I had potential. My entire life, different states, different drug addicts, different dope. They would always tell me, like, you're, you're a special kid. You don't need to be sitting out here doing this. You know, and I didn't listen. I ended up getting kidnapped. You know, they beat me with a cinder block. I defecated myself and, and they put a gun in my mouth and threw me in the back of a truck. You know, and when they did release me, because the older lady I was sleeping with, who was a crack addict at the time, the, the insanity of disease of addiction is 15 minutes later after I washed my ass and threw my boxers away, I'm smoking dope again. Because I don't know how to handle situations that baffle me, man. So I was going to commit suicide, to answer your question, in 2000 and, uh, 2012 and, and the beginning of 2013. I was going to commit suicide by cop. There's like a standoff in my wife's neighborhood. I left her pregnant, and I left my other son. And uh, I was a chef at Rich Carlton in Marana, Arizona. And then I got a DUI. I picked up one drink. And I walked away from my pregnant wife, my kid, my beautiful home, everything I had, my pool career, my built swimming pools, cleaned them. And I was a chef, student at the Art Institute, picked up one drink, one drink. And I hated myself so much that instead of being vulnerable and crying and asking for help, I cursed her out. I cursed the babies and I vanished and I went to some relatives that are out here that have been out here in the desert for their entire lives pushing dope and I didn't just go in like a little bit at a time I got involved with some scary freaking people that are doing meth and got entangled in this web and they're very cunning when using this dope and they can talk you into killing yourself you know they'll follow you all kinds of stuff happens and I ended up running these streets with axes and machetes and a paintball mask and a hoodie my Timberlands baseball gloves and I lived like that for two years jumping out of people's windows with machetes and when it got to a point where she pleaded that I went and got help and she pushed my buttons while having the police on the phone, I didn't know that. Um, I threatened to threatened to kill her with a machete and um, unfortunately I meant it. You know, so I walked around this psych hospital that I've been a patient at multiple times and it was 107 pounds at 34 years old. I sold my SUV, a nice one, for 300 bucks and a bag of dope. I stopped driving prostitutes around. My, my, my dealer blew his brains out before he went to prison. And then my other dealer got locked up in prison. 
I don't trust anybody. I saw people for what they were on this dope and how manipulative they are and how evil they are. And I just, I couldn't wrap my mind around that lifestyle. And they told me for two years while doing this dope out here in the desert, like, this isn't your world, bro. Let us do what we do here, man. Let us do these home invasions. Let us, let us trick each other. Let us go bury prostitutes in the desert. Let, let us do what we need to do. This isn't your life. You know, and, and me being a person that carried every single resentment that I ever had in my entire life, my entire brain was like a, ho uh, like a hotel with 300 rooms and each bed was full of resentments. <clears throat> so while doing this dope and seeing how these people reacted and how, how I was getting played like a fool, man, I just turned into this homicidal maniac with suicidal tendencies. So at the end of it, I was just walking around this psych hospital during the day. I walked around it for two hours contemplating jumping in front of a moving truck. Instead of doing that, I, I eventually I went in and uh, I let them open, willing to take their medications because I fought them for years. And I'm not freaking crazy, bro. I don't need your medications. My wife's like, you're a drug addict. Why won't you take medication? They're drugs. Because I don't want to feel like a zombie. I don't want to do it on anybody else's terms either. Exactly. And that's that's yeah. one of the biggest things. We're so prideful that we're not going to change until we fucking hate ourselves. You're not going to change who you are until you're completely disgusted at what you see in the mirror. Disgusted. It wasn't even me anymore, man. I was a lunatic. A lunatic. And had so many resentments that I was so sick physically, spiritually, mentally, like sick. I was a pervert on meth. Like I was sick. So I went around perverted women. So I just didn't feel out of place or people would talk shit. You know what I mean? So I went around perverted people. And I was married. I was married and had kids. I was just a chef to Rich Carlton. I'd been in the military. You know, I just didn't want to stop using my terms. Everything has to be on my terms because I love to be comfortable 100% of my life. I'll be kind to you. I'll open a door for you. I'll give you the shirt off my back. The second I'm uncomfortable, I'm a completely, I'm, I'm a completely different human. Yeah. So, so you guys, you started getting sober. You already realized, like, I need to get sober. What was that journey like? Oh, man, it was incredible. It was so incredible that I had to put it on paper for six years. I'm not educated, book smarts type deal. I don't read. I'm an author that doesn't read books. But I'm, so, I, I'm a very deep thinker. And go ahead. Did you did you start writing as soon as you got sober? So I go to Salvation Army a third time. I AWOL twice. They generally don't let people back in a third time. This is, you know, you're going to go to church twice a week. You're going to get a sponsor within 30 days. You're going to work eight hours, and you're not going to smoke a cigarette till I tell you you can smoke a cigarette. I'm an extremist in every way. Every rehab I ever went to was all men because I focus on women. That's a, that's a distraction, always has been since I was a child. So I graduated that, and I was scared to come home to be a father and a husband because my wife allowed me to come back. So I didn't know how to be a dad. I didn't know how to be a father and a husband and have CDO, you know, it's OCD in alphabetical order. Like I, I need their toys away. I need no pee on my toilet seats. I need the dishes organized. And I mean, I've been incarcerated multiple times. Every rehab I went to is militarized. 
Everything has to be clean. So I worked at a car wash for $7.90 an hour after having my own sole proprietorship of a pool company. After working as a chef at the Ritz Carlton, making $7.90 an hour at a car wash, 2013 minimum wage in Arizona, $7.90. Grateful because I was homeless and I begged for food at churches. So that's a come up. See, when we tap into that spiritual aspect of what's really going on in the universe, when we could dig deeply and work on our mental health every second, it's called mindfulness. That 790 was a come up. Then I became a manager. Then I started working and going to, to AA meetings. And then I became a, a chairman of an AA meeting. Like me, this dirtbag that couldn't afford a pair of shoes for years. So he stole them. Next thing you know, I'm the leader for these individuals. And I'm talking to people one-on-one -on -one at the car wash, gang members, addicts, you know, people that despised me when I came in. Next thing you know, they're asking me questions because they felt my energy was a good energy and I'm authentic. Then I started sharing my testimony around the city and they said, man, brother, you got to work in the behavioral health field. You got to work in the mental health world. You know how to speak. You've been a patient in these places. You've been incarcerated. You've been an addict for 19 years. Like you're it. So I went in there. I got a job on the spot. I was like, I was a patient here. Ran down my testimony, got hired on the spot. What's your I, job title? Of a recovery support specialist. Peer support okay. specialist. Yeah, you got a school for that. any of that or did it just happen? Eight days. He Hard lived it. Yep, that he was lived it. That was all exactly. his training. So convicted felon, somebody in the psych hospitals, addict in recovery, like really truly working this program. They hired me on the spot, but then you have to get a fingerprint clearance card because there's children in the psych hospital and there's vulnerable adults. So they want to make sure I'm not a pedophile and stuff like that. So I gathered all my criminal history, even if I wasn't convicted. And I have the story on my kitchen table. My wife assisted me in getting everything from Virginia. I got everything else from Arizona, all my charges. And I have stories everywhere. So I opened a laptop, which I'm not like really Do you good remember at all of them? And all of a sudden I had to go through each one and write a summary to the state of Arizona and Governor Ducey's office so they could dissect me. But I wrote it so intricately and, and, and very vulnerable. And I was like, damn, I've heard that you should write your book for all these years. And that was it, 2015, the same week I started writing my book. And uh, you just recently finished your book. And so now I guess, or when did you officially finish? You're like, this is it, I'm done. September 13th, which was cool, Friday the 13th. After all yeah. those years, <laughs> <laughs> it was published September 13th on a Friday, man. So it just got published. Um, I, I, Self-published it last year for a month with a different cover that I just made in bed when I was sick. And then I went through and, and a publisher picked me up. So it's legit now. Um, done some book signings, Barnes & Noble, uh, a church down here, Hope City Church out in the city. Crime infested out here, man, by the border. It's, it's And what's the title of it? It is The Book of Joel, Cunning, Baffling, and Powerful. Would you I like, like to read I know it's a lot like on the spot. Would you read the back cover? As a young man, I faced many adversities while struggling to find myself through a brutal 19-year war with drug and alcohol addiction, all the while suffering from anxiety, depression, and PTSD. 
During that war, I was kidnapped, dodged a disturbing death on multiple occasions, suffered a minor, minor stroke due to head trauma, and survived the internal warfare that almost ended with me taking my own life. Tormented by dark spirits and enlightened by the good, I was gifted another opportunity at living a meaningful life. With God's undeserving grace and uncomprehensible mercy, I share my experience, strength, and hope with you to prove recovery from addiction is not only 100% possible, but that we can in turn aid and assist our brothers and sisters in our communities. That's all. So, Do you have an audio book or working have, on it? I got a guy in D.C. Uh, does Home Depot commercials, almost like that. Uh, you didn't want to read Morgan, it yourself? Morgan Freeman type of voice. <laughs> Help people go to sleep. I'm not comfortable doing that right now. That's I'm not cool. comfortable with that. Yeah, but totally everybody and a grandmama wants me to read it myself. So I will eventually. I'm yeah. a, he's on chapter 14 right now. It's not cheap to do that, to get a guy no. off Fiverr. To, yeah. So I'm just pacing myself and enjoying every moment. Well, here. him reading it, I think he needs to be more comfortable with it. I mean... That's a lot of that's a lot of yeah. uh, the reason why authors don't read their books. You know, it's like I wrote this; I don't want to read this shit out loud. So, yeah. can I get well, this straight? Fiction is one thing, but he lived that, so it's yeah. like he's reliving every single story. So, your wife that you're with right now has been through all of this with you, guys. She didn't even know I was a crack fiend. She didn't, she she knew I was an alcoholic. I drink in front of her and her mama. She never knew I was on drugs, man. Like I lied about that for eleven years until I was just like, you know what, I'm out. I'm a dope fiend. I'm I'm not coming back. And I planned on never liar. coming back. Yeah, she never knew. I lied for twenty eight years and I stole from people. Literally stole from people for twenty eight years. That is crazy. I give props to your wife though for putting up with that. I bet it wasn't easy. Did she ever tell you what made her stay? She's I'm the hero. Sober. She's the <laughs> hero, man. She's the yeah. one that everybody that read it goes, I have to meet your wife. Yeah, I I kind of want to. Like, I kind of want to. Is and she just, in the house now? Yeah, man. Like, can you bring her on just so we can? I don't know if she's back yet. She took my kids. One of my sons is a model, so he went to the uh, Hamilton nice. play with his grandmother. My wife went out to take them. I got two sons here right now and another one with her. Oh, nice. Well, yeah, man. she's in the background, well, man. Really, really uh, private person. Did she ever tell you um, what made her stay? She saw that God created the man that she prayed for for those 11 years, the potential, the talented young man that she always hoped for. I never knew. She never knew me sober. Not one day. She 11 years, she never knew me sober. And it's bad. That's why you got to read this, man. It's bad. The things I put definitely, I, I'm not, I admit, I'm not a reader, but I do audio books. That's why I like it. it I was asking yeah. the second it, the second it drops, I'll be listening to it in the car. Oh, right on. Hell yeah. Definitely. yeah. It's brutal. What she's gone through, man. Oh my man, man. Wow. The things I put her through. It's, Dude. And it was tough. I, I walked away for six months and didn't write again. And then I walked away for nine months. Was there it's ever tough. a point when she wanted to leave you? Oh, yeah, man. I, had I mean, I, police, yeah, I would imagine. Police hog-tying me and throwing me in the back of a paddy wagon and throwing me in a psych hospital. Like, she was terrified. She changed it. Oh, man, I couldn't even come in the neighborhood. I wasn't allowed <laughs> in the neighborhood. When, like, 
I was seriously seeing things and hearing things and thought everybody was conspiring to kill me. Like a lot of times I thrived off of that lifestyle of, okay, come on, you know what I mean? But then you get a different kind of dope and you just become super paranoid and think everybody's after you. I'd run back to the house 25 miles away, you know, on a stolen BMX bike because I didn't have my SUV anymore. And I go back and the second I showed up, they locked down the neighborhood and threw me back in jail or a psych hospital, man. She was terrified. So now that you're sober, in these moments where you feel stressed out or you're feeling overwhelmed, what do you do to ground yourself in reality? Walk away from everybody. I don't want to hear a human voice. I can't hear a human voice. I work with a lot of people, 12, 16 hours a day, you know, that are constantly, there's Joel, 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 I need Joel, I need, I need, I need Joel, Joel, can I have, can I, can I, can I, you know, then I come home, it's daddy's home, daddy's home. Not so much my 12-year-old and my 9-year-old, they're excited, but they're gamers, you know, so my... (laughs) Six-year-old and my five-year-old, though, is daddy, 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 attention. So it's Joel, 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 daddy, 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 daddy. And then I just shut down. So the six and the five-year-old, all they know is sober Joel. And my nine-year-old. I bet that's a good feeling. My 12-year-old was three years old, so I didn't want any – I didn't – I don't want people knowing where my wife and my children, even though she was my strange wife at the time, for two and a half years. I didn't want anybody in that world to know where she was because they're disturbing people. You know, I didn't want anything happening to them. So some people use in their homes and beat their kids. Um, don't even send their kids to school because they don't want to, you know, society to see the bruises or the mental anguish that the children are suffering from. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just left mine, period. Just walked away. And there's no, I mean, I mean, there's no. I'll be honest with you, that's not right. But I think so many people that aren't ready for kids or aren't in the space to have kids do more harm than good by staying in the life as an obligation rather than fixing themselves before they cut and re-enter. Yeah, my wife saw the change in me. You know, for me, it was God or nothing. God or nothing. I played God for 34 years, and the only thing that happened to me was I got freaking, again, kidnapped. Different occasions, somebody hit me in the skull and broke it, gave me the minor stroke. Bodies everywhere, man. You know, and and, and me walking city streets that I wasn't from. I literally didn't know where I was because I was so high and I was under bridges, and I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know where to go. And she would drive in every city we lived in. She would drive around the city until she found me. Wow. Your your yeah. wife is an amazing woman, dude. Brutal. We were there, and she's from Louisiana, so when Katrina hit, I was just addicted to smoking crack. Wasn't worried about her family members that were missing. You know, Of all the drugs, which one made you feel the worst afterward? Lifestyle-wise, I'm going to say lifestyle-wise, it was methamphetamine. It's the most evil, most pure form of evil on the planet. Meth is no joke. That shit is satanic. It's a portal. Did you ever get hell. hooked on opioids or anything like that? Nah, man. I like jumping out of windows and driving stolen cars. You know, you can't do that when you're on opioids. I've done it. You know, I've yeah. definitely done it. It's probably not much you haven't. Yeah, I'll do it. I have spray paint. 
Mm-hmm. That was a trip. That's in the book. That's a whole. That's wild. That's the. Whew. So I have, I have probably the most important question that we can ask tonight, Joe. Who do you want to play you in a movie? Well, on a good day, I'm five foot four. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to find somebody that Danny DeVito. Yeah, young like, Danny DeVito. Know how to act, you know, in the city kind of life, you know, multicultural. You know, because I'm a I'm affiliated with a black gang, man. Yeah. You know, people wouldn't realize it, but I, I Puerto Ricans and Asians, and it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? If it makes you feel any better, you give off strong five nine vibes from this angle. And people will ask me that all the time. <laughs> they do, especially when I grow my hair back out. They're like, "Oh, brother, <laughs> what are you with, brother?" I'm like, "No, man, that's that's not me. Don't ever judge a human by their looks." Yeah, exactly. Well, Joel, man, uh, I really appreciated hearing your story. And you reach out to us when you get that audio book out, man, because I definitely want to hear it. I, I, I apologize, I don't read, but if you send a copy, I definitely. You know, if we get a copy somewhere, like I'll definitely check it out. If I if I go to Books a Million or something, because we don't have Barnes and Noble where I'm at, and I see it, I'm picking it up, dude. Right on, brother. And for your listeners, you could get it at FultonBooks.com out of Pennsylvania, BarnesandNobles.com, Amazon.com, Walmart. You just type my name in or type the We're book gonna put Nobles. a link in the description yeah. on this oh, episode right on, as well. Right on, man. Yeah, I'll put it where where do you make the most profits from? Which uh which uh what's your most successful website right now? And that's the link we'll put. Probably Amazon. Amazon. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hard copies, $27.95, paperback, $19.95, ebook, $9.99. Nice. Oh. Dude, man. Well, I appreciate it. Your story is amazing. And dude, you gotta give us uh Tell your wife we said thank you I will, for I everything. Thank you. Um, what we do on the podcast before we hang up, we have a tradition around here. Chris hasn't been very good at it, so I'm going to let Chris take the <laughs> reins. Joel, we love you, man. We're happy you're here, and we're happy that you made it through that journey. I love you, man. I love you, man. Thank <laughs> you, brothers. Yes, sir. Together we survive, folks. This podcast has been a production of Fancy Name Productions.